0: Hey everyone! Welcome back to the podcast. This week, the week of May eighth, all new episodes. Two weeks ago, we had FDIC. We were on location. We shot a ton of content. Worked on a bunch of projects with different manufacturers. It was an incredible week. Um, and then the following week of uh, May first, we kind of ran uh, some reruns as well as um, content that was shot and podcasts that were uh, recorded. At FDIC with some great people, and so that was a lot of fun. That was last week's lineup. This week's lineup, though, we're back to it. All new episodes, and so sit back, enjoy. Thanks for joining us on the National Fire Radio Podcast. Check out the Size Up by Robert Paparo, our buddy Pip, the little guy with the mohawk. Every Tuesday is his episode, as well as the rest of the week is filled out with all new content and interviews with great guests that support the National Fire Radio community. Thanks for tuning in. Check it out this week. We appreciate you, and do me a favor. Give us a half a second of your time and listen to the sponsors that help make National Fire Radio's podcast possible. Hey, guys, before we start the podcast, real quick, I want to mention the Gone to Texas Fire Forum and Expo being held in Arlington, Texas on June 9th and 10th. Myself, I'm going to be emceeing the event for two days with nationally renowned speakers that will be there for the weekend. Moe Davis, Clyde Gordon, Rick George, Mickey Farrell, jacob johnson dennis riley and so on the list goes on and on i was there last year helped emcee the event last year it is a growing conference in an incredible venue globe life field which is home to the texas rangers in arlington texas right in the entertainment district right at the pbr bar which we're gonna have a social after the first night i'm telling you right now there's no other venue like this the room actually overlooks the field you get to walk the stadium it is such a cool venue arlington texas june 9th and 10th check them out go on to texasfireforum.com or go to facebook and look them up there too go on the texas fire forum where you can buy your tickets get great hotel rates if anybody's asking you where you're going this summer you tell them go on to texas this episode's brought to you by taylor's tins taylor and his crew at taylor's tins have been manufacturing Aluminum helmet fronts since 2017 with over 200,000 tins in the market. They are a leader in the helmet front space. Custom designed one offs to department orders, they can turn them around within 24 to 48 hours. Customer service is what they pride themselves on, and they provide nothing but top shelf product and service to their customers check them out at taylors and check out their full line of product offering they've always been a very strong supporter since day one with the national fire radio podcast and platform and taylor and his crew have become dear friends of ours and we appreciate the support and at checkout for a little extra bonus use coupon code nfr sent me that's nfr sent me for a discount on your order exclusions do apply Anyway, check out taylorstins.com for the latest and greatest offerings from Taylor and his crew. And in the words of Taylor, stop burning up leather. Hey everyone, Jeremy, National Fire Radio. Welcome back to the podcast. Today's going to be a lot of fun. This is a guy that doesn't want to talk talk about himself, doesn't want to be here, but I, I squeezed him, man. And it's somebody that has stood out to me in the, in the few times that we've met It's like I've known this guy my whole life. And um, Carl Haddon, welcome to the show. I appreciate you being here, man.
1: I truly do. Well, thanks for having me, brother. I appreciate it. <laughs> so let me, like, a little
0: background. I think the last time I saw you, I didn't see you out at Indy uh, two weeks ago. I think I might have passed you guys in the hallway. I think I saw your uh, Janice beautiful hair uh, go flying by in the crowd, and I was like, well, is that them? And then I turned around, you were gone. So I might have I might have had a, a, a quick uh, witnessing of you guys pass by in the hallway. Um, but I didn't have a chance to say hello, and – Uh, The last time I saw you was out at Long Island at the Long Island mega show like a year ago, and you guys had some uh, firefighters in from the islands. Do you recall that?
1: I do. I did. We had uh, five or six firefighters from uh, uh, CNMI, in particular, the island of Saipan.
0: Saipan. Now you guys have trained there before. It should be said, I mean, I'm going to get into your bio. We're going to talk about a bunch of different things today, but you guys have done training down there before. When I say you guys, um, you are affiliated. You have your, uh, training company, five-star fire training, which is affiliated with on scene and you and Aaron, uh, Heller, which you told me not to mention his name and call him bad names on the podcast, but you said that, you know, you guys have been friends for a very long time, uh, and you know, and that's how I've gotten to know you is through Aaron and so on, Aaron's been on the show a few times now, but I'll say this, right, you guys have trained down there several times, and there is quite the American influence on the islands down there when it comes to firefighting, right?
1: You know, the, Jeremy, there really is where we've, we've been blessed to train all over the world, and the, um, the American influence, as you put it, Um, And everywhere we've gone has just been crazy.
0: Uh, It's cool. And, and you think about, like, you know, the fire service is very diverse across the globe, obviously, right? And so, you know, when you think about these islands, I think a lot of it has to do, the American influence comes from the equipment that we probably send out. Apparatus, turnout gear, hand tools, right? I mean, there's a lot of donation going on out of the United States to these uh, other countries. Um, and it, I think some of the influence might be coming from that.
1: You know, I I would definitely agree with that. And, you know, let's face it, we build it better than a lot of other places in the world build it. And so... Uh you know hopefully our standard of firefighting is you know the NFPA and the American Fire Service is it's a big draw for everywhere we go yeah. and i'm sure thankful for that
0: yeah and you look at the conferences like FDIC i mean look at how many countries were represented this year that were there and so on so i think like many things the united states is a leader within the Ameri- you know within the fire service globally Um, and so on. So teaching in the islands, I mean, it's gotta be quite the struggle to go down there for what two weeks, get acclimated, you know, struggle with the teaching in the sand and, you know, talking fire shop, you know, with some of these guys, it's gotta be, it's gotta be hard to do training down there. No, (laughs) no. (laughs) You know, my friend, it's, I can't even say it with a straight face. Are you kidding me? That's outstanding.
1: It's not, it's not hard to do the training down there because again, we're all, you know, fire family and and that, that language is universal. I share with you one of the last times it wasn't Saipan. It was another Island, um, had us come in and do uh, three or four weeks worth of coastal water rescue training. Yeah. And, um, As we get on island, there's this sheepish look on the boss's face, and she says, well, I kind of forgot to tell you something that about half of the guys that are doing this training can't swim.
0: (laughs) That's perfect. (laughs) That's perfect. All right, well, hey, okay.
1: We adapt and we overcome, and we taught them how to swim, and then we did some life-saving with them, and then we got into some uh, basic coastal water stuff.
0: I think what's really interesting, right, when you talk about it, you are know, like coastal water training, like what, like how is that possible? But I think that just speaks to who you are. I mean, a lot of why I wanted to have have you on this show with me had a lot to do with your own experiences and background within the fire service, because I don't think you've had the most traditional route in regards to where you've been able to practice and be a part of and bring emergency services forward. I mean, you've worked movie sets, TV sets, stunts. You've done, uh, in, in, you were in California for many years. You were the NAS Cup, uh, NASCAR Cup Series Fire Service Director. You were, let's see here. I mean, the list goes on and on. Penske Motorsports, NASCAR, the, the USAC, and Mickey Thompson Racing. You are very pronounced in the extrication field vehicle rescue because that's a lot of what your background was. You do consulting work. You were a deputy fire chief retired out of North Fork, North Fork, Idaho Fire Department, in which you spent many years there. So you have quite the pedigree in resume when it comes to different types of aspects of within the fire service, right? And so I got to believe that there is just a tremendous amount of incredible relationships you've made on top of the storytelling that I'm sure can go for days and days.
1: It, it is. It is. I um, it, Listen, I, the only way I can put it is that I've been blessed. Um, I, I started out um, in a career department and got hurt on the job mm. uh, early on. Mm. And as fate would have it, if you will, um, from there, the, the roller coaster ride began when I got offered a job as a um, pre-hospital care paramedical services coordinator for the 84 olympics in la no kidding wow and it was just at off, the coliseum it was just off right? to the races yeah. from there yes sir at yes, the la
0: coliseum sir. that is probably one of the first so in 84 i'm going to age i'm going to age you a little bit by saying this but in 84 i was 7 years old but i think everyone remembers the 80 like i remember the 84 olympics i remember that even though i was 7 or 8 years old at the time I remember that man. And so what what how did you get involved with that? That's an incredible item to have on your resume.
1: It it was just one of those things of being in the right place at the right time. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Well, and it really was. I mean, you know, I I like to say that I'm educated beyond my intelligence and um, you know, <laughs> I I fit I fit a certain niche and you know just kind of it was off to the races from there literally literally literally
0: so at the olympics what were you paramedic what were you paramedic coordinator
1: yes sir pre-hospital care coordinator from paramedic coordinator i was in charge of the uh, the entire uh, olympic ambulance fleet and um on ground pre-hospital care
0: wow that's pretty wild so i got wow that's okay so and how i mean that was pretty early on in your career then i would assume
1: It was. It was. And by the way, you said you're going to age me. I'm old as dirt. So (laughs) let's just get that straight.
0: Oh, come on, man. Don't listen to me. I just saw you not too long ago and you looked fantastic, brother. And you squeezed me. We had a great hug. And uh, I felt those muscles popping, man. You live on a ranch. In the Rocky
1: Mountains, do you not? So I, I do, I do, I do. But come on, let's cut the crap. You know, it's because I have a beautiful wife. It
0: has everything to do with that, and I'd love That's to. Right. We're going to talk about her too, because that is one thing that really stands out to me. Is that every interaction I've had with you, other than seeing you last time in Long Island, um, you know, she's been with you, and you guys have been a team. Since the from the get, since you guys have been together, and she has a background too in emergency services, right in the EMS, yep. and you guys, yes, you guys do literally everything together, no?
1: I, you know what? Like I, I may have shared with you, we've um, lived together, worked together, and loved together for just about every day for the last thirty-two years. So we're doing something right. Now, I'm not going to tell you it's always been easy, but yeah, of
0: course not. But I, but. The, when you break that down and you think about it, I spend a lot of time with my wife. We run errands together on the weekends. You know, we, we, uh, we spend a lot of time together. We're a together household because a lot of times I'm traveling or I'm doing a lot with work. And so, you know, I'm not here as often as maybe some other husbands would be at home or whatever. But I look at it this way. It's the quality time you spend while you're home. I mean, a lot of people work a nine to five or they work shift work. And when they come home, they're in their phones or they're preoccupied or they have other things. And they're not spending the time with their family that, you know, so regardless of how much time you're in or out as long as you're spending that quality time that's what matters and you guys do that. Um I well, think thank it's you. yeah it's it's fantastic to see Um, I, I was sharing that story with you a little ways before, uh, we hit the record button when I first met you guys was at burning in the Bayou years ago in Louisiana. And I ducked into the communications trailer. And I think at the time you and Janet were running like the, the actual, it was a live burn within a hospital facility, right. An abandoned hospital facility down in fountain blue, Louisiana, I think. Right. If I, or Mississippi, which one,
1: No, we were in, uh, Thibodeau, that's right.
0: Thibodeau, Thibodeau, that's right. Louisiana, yes, okay. sir. See, I'm confusing my trips now.
1: And uh, so they had, they had they had given us a school complex, okay. to do a bunch of 1403 stuff with, and we burned the starch out of that school, brother.
0: <laughs> I was there for it. I enjoyed yeah. it very much. Oh, and and uh, Jeremy, I'm sorry. Yeah. Maybe
1: that was the second one. You were with the the at the burn at the hospital that they yes, gave us. Yes. That was also Thibodeau. So I'm
0: not completely right. losing my mind then. I was close. Nope. Nope. Okay. Nope. Okay. So what, so, but the whole point of that was, is I, that's where I met you guys and uh, the two of you and I watched you two work together and it was like a, a synced choreography of two dancers, if you will. And, and as cheesy or weird as that sound, it really was from me as a stranger, getting to know you guys through a conversation, you guys were very well paired in playing off of each other and almost finishing each other's sentences. And it was a lot of fun to watch because you don't see a lot of husband and wife teams like that. You know, I say team because that's what you guys truly are. And, and I saw that firsthand. Um, and I, I was really struck by that. And, um, you know, I think many people need to aspire to be like you guys in regards to relationships. And like you said, not everything is bliss, man. I get that, right? I mean, you guys live outside of town. You're, you're in an isolated place that I want to visit one day. I cannot wait to get there. And I know you told me from day one, come visit. And I will take you up on that because it's such...
1: I hope hope everybody heard that, brother, because you said
0: I'm doing it. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I've told my wife about it. I said, I I would love to go and see this lifestyle, because I think if you want to talk about reset, you want to talk about um, dialing in, I think that's why you guys are so focused on one another is because that's what you have there. With isolation comes appreciation for things that, that are in front of you, right? Sure,
1: sure. Well, you know, a lot of people say... What was it like having your time in the sun? I mean the spotlight with the the other stuff that we did the NASCAR mm, and yeah. the motion picture television stuff. I I understand that other people look for that those times in their lives we just we fell into it and it got to a point in California where we finally had to say I think it's time to get out of the the crazy and so, 21 years ago, we moved here to the ranch in Idaho.
0: And I love that. And I'd love to break that down just a little bit. So, you guys are in Southern California. Uh, at mm-hmm. that point, you're working uh, a couple different avenues, right? So, we we hit the Olympics. From the Olympics, where where what was the next step for you after the Olympics?
1: Well, we the the motion picture and television work was always interspersed. Okay. And um, once I decided to get into emergency services um yeah i truthfully my degree is in biomedical science Mm. and i thought i was going to be a doctor and i had a couple doctor friends that said dude we know you there's not a snowball's (laughs) chance in hell you're going to be a doctor (laughs) and so i just started checking it out and a doctor friend of mine said you know come do some tours in the er with me and you know i liked it and um you know the firefighters kept coming in and out and they said Carl you'd make a good firefighter you should look into that so yeah. i said here we go right and that was it
0: okay and then from there so so you got so you were a career fireman in california then
1: yes sir okay and then we, blondie and i also it was one of those things where after the olympics we um It was another fall into a right place at the right time thing. I had an opportunity to buy a, an existing ambulance service that catered specifically to um, the event industry, concerts, motion picture, television, racing, that kind of stuff. And um, that was where I really got my start in the, uh, the motorsports stuff. And then it just furthered with the, concerts tvs we worked for oh my gosh um anybody that is even remotely enough to my age or even my eldest kid's age we worked for every band and um whatever that was on tour through is that right the west coast yeah oh that's cool
0: so what all right i have to ask then right with all of that right so i mean so what you're telling me is if you want to get into fame and you want to get into concert venues and race cars and uh, and all of that, buy an ambulance company. Got it. Okay. I'll, I'll make sure that, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mentioned we don't have that company anymore? Yeah, well,
0: it- uh, yeah, there you go, right? Natural progression. But, but it, hey. But,
1: but it was 23 years, man. It was a 23-year-long ride that I don't regret a single second of.
0: What an incredible, like what incredible opportunities. I You got to share at least one or two stories that happened or something funny, something, an interaction. There's got to be one or two standout events that happened over your career during those times that you're like, man, that was hilarious. Like, you know, something with Ozzy Osbourne or like something crazy. What do you got? Come on. Give me something.
1: Well, you know the the Aussie thing. I, I shared. I may have shared with you. I share with friends. Not a lot of other people. Um, Aussie. We worked for Aussie a lot. I, I didn't and even know
0: that. I swear to God, I just pulled that out of my ass. I, I had no oh, idea. Really? Yeah, I'm oh, telling I you. Maybe Aaron or
1: somebody had no. shared with you.
0: No, I had no idea. Go.
1: That's <laughs> no, hilarious. Okay. Go so. ahead.
0: I'm not putting you on the spot. If this is something you don't want to talk about, we can go somewhere else. It's
1: it's all good. Um, Not a lot of people know that um, Ozzy and Ozzy and Sharon have been nothing but fantastic to both Janet and I for decades. Okay. And um, Ozzy has um, pretty serious stage fright, and he needs some uh, medical attention before he goes on stage. right. And um, it got to the point where we would walk into Ozzy's dressing room and he needed a, he would take a vitamin shot, for example. Right. right. And we'd walk into Ozzy's dressing room and without saying anything, he'd just drop his drawers for his, (laughs) his shot. Um, the best part of the Ozzy story is that, and I don't know why, because my wife was a wonderful human, as you well know, um, Sharon Osborne took a shine to me. And when we would do OzFest and stuff, it didn't matter how hard my beautiful bride was working, Sharon would look and say, where's Carl? I love it. I love it. And um, yeah, it was always that was always a treat because you never quite knew what was going to happen on stage or off stage. Sure. um, With Ozzy. Um, The the one that sticks out for me with my bride was we were backstage. It was the Eagles tour we were doing. And um, Don Henley is sitting backstage out on the lawn in a lawn chair, sitting in the sun and just soaking it up and, Blondie and I walk by and he looks at my wife obviously doesn't know she's my wife and says, Hey, what are you doing? And my wife looks at him and I realized a little too late that she had no idea who he was. She says, well, some of us have to work for a living. (laughs) And he says, well, you don't have to work for a living right now. Why don't you come sit down on a chair next to me? Nice. Nice. And yeah, it was it was only when we got around the corner I said, "Do you have any idea who that is?" Nope. She says, "No, some dude on a lounge chair just taking a break." I said, "That dude's Don Henley." Henley.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's cool.
1: So, I mean, I,
0: and I'm sure the stories just go on and on. And you know, you know what's fun about that though for you two is that you lived it together, right? So you you guys have yeah. those and made those memories together. And it's not you on the road coming home after a long trip and trying to relay those stories to try to get a laugh or, you know, you guys have that together. I absolutely love that about you two. I think it's fantastic.
1: I really do. Well, thanks. I do too, my brother. And you know what? if we hadn't shared it together neither one of us would believe it from the other so it's a good thing it happened exactly, together
0: exactly exactly man memories that's what it's all about and so from yep. there 23 years with that ambulance company doing these events you found your way to nascar as well though right because i have to think that that's pretty that's a pretty prestigious spot right the fire safety director for nascar the the uh, cup series right
1: it was and again it was by accident jeremy um, I've been on the in the racing scene in Southern California for a lot of years, and when um, we call him Uncle Roger came to um, California Speedway and they were building it, the guy that he had tagged to be the fire safety director um, would call me almost daily to ask me questions about how things worked and how things worked in Southern California and whatnot, and so I would tell him, long story short one day roger figured out that this guy was calling me every time you'd ask him a question and so out of the blue i got a call from mr penske and he said uh or his office said that mr penske would like to have a meeting with you and i thought oh my god what did i do <laughs> And um, i literally jeremy i walked in I'm nervous as all get out yeah. and shook his hand and he looks at me and he says, I understand you're my new fire safety director. Oh, I love that. That's and cool. I, I, th- I said, sir? And he said, do you not want it? And I I stammered and he says, okay, I'll take that as a yes. Wow. And yeah, I want it. And that was it. Were you
0: a so, ra- were you a race fan? Like, did you grow up with it? Was it something that was important to you, just as a hobby before you got into it, or is it something you learned to and you fell in love with through the process?
1: You know what, horsepower is a drug, but I didn't have it before I started got working it. in it. Yeah, um, people would say to me for the last thirty years. What do you do in racing? I say, as long as they turn left, nothing. <laughs> that's
0: very true. That's very true. Absolutely. That's that's wild, though, right? So you traveled with them, right? Because the Cup Series travels all over the country, right?
1: So They do. And I, I did do a bunch of traveling, but I just to make it clear, and because I'm weird like that, I, I wasn't the fire safety director. Got I it. was a fire safety director got because it's it. it too much work for all of the – however many weekends a year yeah but i i had i had a 200 plus that worked for me directly based out of california speedway wow
0: that's a massive undertaking
1: it it, it was interesting yeah it was interesting
0: i bet, I bet. 200,
1: 200 firefighters from all different departments and walks of life and yep
0: Yeah, I've met guys that do it like per diem, right? So when the race comes to the Poconos or something in in Pennsylvania, they have guys that I guess travel with the circuit, but then they bring in people locally that are trained as well, right. To, to like supplement the the staff. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's a really interesting setup. We had an opportunity to witness it. Um, we, we didn't capitalize on it, but we're going to, uh, we know a couple people that are involved, um, at that level. And so I'd love to capture it because I, to me, it's very interesting. I love the different aspects. And that's why I really wanted to chat with you as much as I adore you. and, And Janet, I, I think, you know, for me, it's important to talk about the different parts of this job. And, you know, you, you've had a very colorful past with the different positions and places that you, you know, you fell into, quote unquote. Right. But I'm also a firm believer, too, that you make your own luck. Right. And you make your own ability to fall into jobs like this. And I think that that just follows you. Right. I mean, you've you make you work hard, Carl. You always have, I'm sure. I know your wife does. I've seen her behind the radios at the desk coordinating and, and, you know, taking charge and it was fun to watch, but you guys have always worked hard and you work together. No. We
1: have, we have, you know, the, the, the fools, and I'm sure or hope that you've had some fools people on. Absolutely. You know, one of their um, mottos is DTRT and it's do the right thing. and, That's, that's all I got, brother. That's, you know, you got to do the right thing and keep on doing the right thing.
0: Where does that come from? Like, where, where did you, why, why is that so ingrained in you? Like, was that a childhood thing? Were you raised that way? You know, did you learn it along the way?
1: I was, I was raised. My, my dad was a a good old Texan boy and my mom was from New York city. Mm. And my dad says, you know what? Um, Forget about your signature if it's not as good as your handshake you're nothing. Wow. I like and that. I like that a lot. Um, and I just I've lived that way and I understand that the world has changed but I don't believe the principle has to change.
0: Forget about your signature. What was that saying? I want to write that down.
1: No, he he said, you know, I understand you have to sign documents, but if your signature is not as good as or not worth as much as your handshake is, then you're not worth anything. <sighs>
0: That's good. That's really good. I like that. I, it means the world to me because I am a handshake guy. And when I do business dealings with big companies, I mean, you know, I work with some of the biggest manufacturers in the fire service. And in those conversations, I tell them, I said, listen, I'm going to promise you one thing. I'm going to over deliver on what we're talking about here. And I said, and my word is as good as anything. And I said, you know, I'm a handshake type of guy. Uh, and, uh, and and that's how I move. And that's how I like to go. Um, I think that is so important. I think that we've gotten away from that. I think people... Um, I think people's character might not be as what it used to be. And I think we need more Carl Haddon's in the world that bring character to the forefront because, you know, without character, man, you got nothing. You know what I'm saying?
1: Brother, you know what? I appreciate you. And I don't know that I subs- could subscribe to the, we need more Carl Haddon's because <laughs> I'm also sure my wife would argue with you, but you know what? I am a character and I do believe in doing the right thing. And you know what? To to your point and not to be negative, if there is something that sticks in my craw, it's yeah. that the fire service today isn't the fire service that I signed up for. Mm. And I, I struggle and I work hard to try to bring some of that back, try to bring some of those values and integrity back.
0: Integrity. That's a big word. Um, that's a very big word. It's a very powerful word. Um, I don't think it's spoken enough these days, and I don't think it's practiced enough either. I would agree with you on that. Um, I do think that the fire service has changed. I agree with you there as well, but I think that we have to work harder than ever to try to get it to where we want it to be. Um, You know, everything in life evolves and moves forward. And sometimes it's not always for the best and some things are better than others. um, But it is still the best goddamn job in the world. Um, I firmly believe that, but I do agree with you on a lot of fronts. And when you talk about, you know, character, I brought up the word character. You mentioned integrity, integrity, They all go hand-in-hand, and um, we need that more than ever, not just in the fire service, but in just life in general. This episode's brought to you by Teledyne FLIR. Teledyne FLIR is the originator and creator of thermal imaging technology. In 2013, FLIR launched the K-series camera for the public safety sector, in particular firefighting. They have created cameras over the last 10 years for every position on the fire ground. From tactical to situational, their cameras help us make the right decisions on the fire ground. So check out Teledyne Fleer, check out their product offerings and engage them on their social media and ask them for more information and education in regards to their product. Teledyne Fleer is producing one of the best cameras on the market, and they're a proud sponsor and partner of the National Fire Radio Podcast. So go over to www.fleer.com and look up the public safety file, and you'll find the latest offerings from Teledyne.
1: Yes, sir. The, the world is lacking, my brother. My brother, it really is.
0: It is, and so that's why you moved to to the sticks of Idaho to to get... <laughs> like, I, listen, man, you know how many people I've talked to you that have left or are looking to leave the, the West Coast and, and to get out of there if they haven't already? And, you know, I'm not saying that was the case for you guys, but you did say before that, like, after 23 years, you know, with that ambulance company, and so on, you know, you and Janet looked at each other and said, maybe it's time to get out and try something different. Um, you know, and and that goes to that conversation of life does evolve and you know, I, I can't believe that was an easy conversation for you guys to uproot and to leave what you guys had known for so long.
1: You know, Jeremy, that it's it, it actually was easy, and it was only because we simply, just us, got to the point. She was taking me to the airport to fly to a job, um, and it was four thirty in the morning. We were on a Southern California freeway, the I-15, mm. going to Ontario Airport, and bumper to bumper traffic
0: at four fifteen in the morning. I,
1: and I started to understand. This is going to sound terrible, but I I started to understand a little bit about maybe how people wanted to shoot each other on the freeway mm. because it was just we just reached. I didn't reach the point where I wanted to shoot anybody on the freeway. I got to be clear about that. But I, I reached the point where I didn't want to be on the freeway at 4:30 in the morning and bumper to bumper traffic. And that was no way to live. And we just said, you know what, if our kids, my oldest daughter was getting ready to start high school. And I said, if we're going to make a move, we got to do it before they get entrenched in high school. And so we just said, let's go.
0: You know, I am, I'm loving that story. Um, and I am envious of you in in many ways because, you know, one, the fact that you remember the exact moment where you were like, okay, this is, this is the moment, right? Like, this is the one that, okay, we got to do something here. I had a moment like that about a year ago. Um, and yet I'm still here in Metro New Jersey, right outside of New York City, where, you know, we are surrounded by New York City news. And, you know, even tonight the TV was on in the background. We try to have dinner as a family every night at my house getting harder and harder as the kids. I got two girls that are home still. My other two kids are are now out on their own. Um, But my two kids that are home, I like to watch the news only to get a sense of what's going on. But I don't. And I've educated my kids on this, that we we don't listen to the news to be swayed in our own opinions and we need to form our own opinions and so on. But, But my point is this, that we're so influenced by what's happening in New York City and the news is just horrible. Every single news story is tragedy, doom, and gloom, and I'm tired of it. And and I'll I'll share a story with you, Carl. I was in Texas at a conference last year. I'm flying back early. I have an early flight out of Texas, coming back to Newark, New Jersey, to the airport that I fly into. It's only about 35 minutes from my house, and I'm flying back. So I'm walking through the airport, and it's like five o'clock in the morning, and I pass the gate. I pass these gates going to my gate. And as I pass the first gate, it's it's a flight going out to Denver, Colorado. Everybody's sitting in the in the waiting area, calm, collective, dressed nicely. Their uh, their bags are at their feet where they're sitting. People are being polite, eating, drinking coffee, and everybody's minding their business and being you know uh, being brotherly and and civil. I pass the next. I pass the next gate. It's a connecting flight going to another city in Texas. And there's probably 100 people there. And everybody is dressed, you know, nicely. Uh, The atmosphere there was calm, cool, collective. Everybody was polite. And then I come up on the Newark, New Jersey gate at 5 o'clock in the morning. And there's people yelling at the gatekeeper. People yelling about their tickets. People are throwing garbage on the ground. There's kids screaming. People are dressed like trash. There's foul language being thrown. There's literally people laying on the ground. There is no respect for one another. And that bothered me the whole time I sat there. And when I came home from that flight, I got off the flight, drove home. I came home. My wife said, how was it? I said, it was It was a great weekend. I said, but I don't want to live here anymore. And she said, what? And I said, and I told her, she's like, what happened? And I gave her the same story I just told you, went into greater detail on it. And I said, it's disturbing. It's disgusting to me. I'm tired of it. I am so tired to watch my area where i fell in love with growing up as a kid just fall apart and i live in an affluent suburb of new york city so my town doesn't directly have these issues but we have other issues that have changed you know that to the, the communities changed the people have changed the the civ- civility has changed you know and I'm kind of tired sure. of it. And, and I know you and I shared this story. I didn't give, go into all the details the last time I saw you. But we did talk a little bit about this. And that's how the whole comment came up. Well, come visit. Come see where we are. Come see what we're doing. And that is very appealing to me. I think that life is too short. And I got 46 years on this planet. And I think that my life is half over. If you look at it that way, right? And, you know, if you're going to live to 90 to 100 years old, my life is half over. What do I have to show for it? I have a beautiful family. I have a beautiful kid. You know, kids, a beautiful wife, right? i I've, I've, you know, trying to make an impact in the fire service, in my other career, all these different things. But I go, do I have peace of mind? Is all this hustle worth the the challenges that I'm dealing with every single day that I don't want to have to deal with? You know what I'm saying? It just, I can I understand, man. I can understand where you guys were.
1: Well, and you know, Jeremy, what's it's? I'm gonna have to add one thing to your story because yes. I I have to admit something uh, about the New Jersey scene. But it, before I do that, you know, I this is gonna be a racing reference, but do I it. think it's about speed. Yeah. And I think you know, if there's any way to do it, if we can find a way to downshift a gear, and just. You know, take a little bit more of it in in third gear instead of being in fifth gear all the time. Love that. And 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 the other side of that is to the New Jersey side. My, I told you, my mom's family was from New York City, Greenwich Village, where I've never been yet. But um, they talked about New Jersey as the other side of the river, and it was like I didn't understand what that meant, and I still don't understand what that means because means because one of the first times I was in New Jersey was going to see Aaron. And I've, I've been to New I've landed in Newark. I've landed in Philly, JFK, um, LaGuardia. New Jersey has some really shitty places, but it has some really beautiful places. 100%. 100%. And, and I was blown away when I went to see Aaron the first time I'm in horse country. And it's like, Holy shit. It's Idaho, Idaho on the other coast. Yeah. You know, I mean, without the mountains, you guys call them mountains. They're really hills. Yeah, oh, well, bombs. my right. yeah,
0: our mountains certainly don't compete with your mountains. However, where I live, I'm 35 minutes. I'm 25 minutes from the George Washington Bridge, which puts you into uh, the Bronx of Manhattan. Yeah.
1: Right? Yeah,
0: I'm 35 minutes from Newark Airport, which everybody talks about New Jersey. They talk about the airport, and which is Newark, and it's the seaport. It's the airport. It's all industrial. It looks like shit, and it's the armpit of America. That's what they call it, right? It's the armpit <laughs> of America when you look at the profile of the United States. 35 minutes north and west of there is where I live. And it is green, it is wet, it is mountains, it is trees. I live in a gorgeous, gorgeous slice of the United States. My area in New Jersey is absolutely drop-dead gorgeous. Um, and, and I I have the best of both worlds. I can get to an urban setting in 25 minutes. I could be in the middle of the mountains or the country in 25 minutes, and I live like right in between, you know what I mean? And it is... No, it's no,
1: no, no, I don't know what you mean. Because <laughs> I, I have to go two and a half hours to a city center. Uh, that's so, incredible yeah. to
0: me like grocery shopping <laughs> shopping all of that right do you have amazon by the way
1: we do but amazon prime prime to us is five to seven days ish wow so i i share with you and i i will i will give you the directions but <laughs> if anybody has any wonder about where we live we drive by the set of the Yellowstone ranch, the TV show, Yellowstone. Yeah. Yeah. When we go shopping. Wow. So do you know
0: that there was, since that show started, there's been such a push of people moving, right? You know that, right? I mean, have you, have you seen just an influx of people in that area?
1: So we had to going to Indy and that was a whole That trip just became more than I could have ever imagined. But we drove or flew out of Bozeman because it was like $500 cheaper. And Bozeman is supposed to be where Yellowstone's filmed. Right. There's signs through the, from Butte, Montana to Bozeman, Montana, that says, make Bozeman, Montana again. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, how many of those? And and, um, my wife went to school with the guy that's the uh, special effects director for Yellowstone, how many of that cast and crew have just fallen in love with that area of Montana and said, let's go. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There's something to be said for that. I think, you know, with everything that happened with COVID uh, and post COVID, I think people came to realize, you know, we had a big push in my area, massive construction and and real estate boom uh, because everybody wanted out of the city. You know, when they shut down the city, everybody wanted out and they realized the benefits of living in the suburbs. If they're going to be trapped in their, you know, uh, apartments in the city, they'd rather be in their home that they can afford because it's it's, the mortgage payment out here is the same as a high rise in Manhattan. Right. So, you know, we had we had quite the boom. But with that comes the city mindset, too, which is very different than the suburban mindset. Which goes Very and plays, t- which plays right to the emergency services and the services that people expect to have at their fingertips, which is a little bit different in the suburbs.
1: Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, listen, take take that forward to what I'm doing now with all this electric yeah. uh, vehicle fire stuff. Yeah, talk about it. My, my brother, we're not ready. We're not ready for it. We're, mm. and I mean, from charging stations to, you know, in- infrastructure, um, we... I will quote a Ford engineer. We started in the middle. Hmm. And if you go, so here's an example for you. And I don't have anything against electric vehicles. I'm all for it and the environment and so on and so forth. When you go from here to Missoula, Montana, where we do the majority of our big shopping, there's a giant Walmart and they just put in a 10, Bay or whatever you want to call it charging station right and if you look about 20 yards from there there's a big brown metal box in the middle of the parking lot and that metal box houses the diesel generator that powers the electric charging station for the EVs right. And if that, just for me, if that doesn't say we started in the middle, I just don't know what does.
0: It certainly is an interesting conversation wherever you fall on that conversation, right? It's, it's do you want to get to the meat of, you know, what actually is doing well for the environment or do you want to just, you know, fall on a trend and, and go? And, um, you know, I can understand that we started in the middle. That makes sense to me. You know, but in the emergency services, you teach a lot of this, right? You talk about electric vehicles, you talk about the hazards, right?
1: I do. I do. And and that, you know, because I'll, I'll save you one of your questions, I'm guessing, is that it came from the racing industry. You yeah. know, the, the automotive, the passenger vehicles um, typically come as a result of some of the um, the the racing industry and, you now we basically have race cars that are made of ultra high strength steel roll cages and electric motors and batteries and we're just not quite ready for the infrastructure and the reason i and i'm blessed to have been contacted by both ford volvo um other manufacturers rivian battery makers there's a big disconnect between the fire service and that industry, and I it, it started with the the ultra high strength steel stuff and our challenges getting into these new vehicles. Yeah, and it just seemed to naturally evolve into the EV stuff and the battery nonsense. And there's nothing wrong with electric vehicles. The weakest link in an electric vehicle, in my professional opinion, is the battery. They're just—they're just quite volatile. They're more volatile than people think, and we—we um, we as the fire service weren't allowed to keep up, or were not brought up to speed at the same pace yeah. that, that the technology evolved. And yeah. now, once again, we're chasing our tails.
0: Well, that's it, right? I mean, I wrote it down while you were talking. I said we're playing catch up. And we always, we always do that, right? And, and I think what happens is with the pace of technology today and how technology is scaling at just an unprecedented pace, how do your methodologies of dealing with it keep up when they're always going to be one step ahead, right? It's, it's impossible. So we have to do our very best in capturing the right information and the right methodology, but we're always going to be playing catch-up. We're always going to be one step behind.
1: Yes. And and I I hate to have to add this to it, but anybody who's been in the service for a little longer than a little while remembers the phrase that, you know, we're 250 years of tradition never impeded by progress. Right. And and that I I don't say that purely cynically, but it's really true. We resist change and it's, you know, banging up against us and we don't have much choice anymore
0: we don't and i you know what i do think though carl and, and what i'm seeing just in the firehouses is as we as the job starts to trend younger which it is i think we have a lot more people in positions today than we ever did that are more open minded to understanding that we need the change as a job as well in regards to some of this right uh, i did a podcast earlier where we talked about keeping it simple keep it simple right and and the importance of that But the problem is today is becoming more and more complicated. I don't know if every answer needs to be as convoluted or complicated as what we're dealing with. I still think we can take a straightforward and and knowledgeable approach in how we want to perform, you know, based on theory and operations. But I think we're in a place now where the people that are starting to make more decisions for this fire service are more tech savvy, are more... Up on today's means and ways, and and as much as the fire service bucks, you know, you know, we we stand on our traditions and our values and in, in traditional methodology. I think today more than ever, though, we're willing to be more open minded than we have been. I think that's what I'm trying to say.
1: And you know what, my friend, I, I truly hope so. Um, I, I I liken it when I explain this in in classes and stuff it's like, you know, learning ground ladders, you know, I, we can teach ground ladders till the cows come home, but you really need to get on the first rung first. Yeah. You can't jump into the, you can't jump into the middle of the ladder. Mm. And and as long as we, you know, and I certainly want to be part of the solution in my uh, waning years instead of part of the problem. But if we, things move so fast as we were talking about earlier It's sometimes we forget that those first three rungs are really important.
0: Yeah, very well said. And I I really like how you put that together. And I agree with you. I think, you know, the most important part is understanding the theory and and concepts so that you can then bring it to the next level of operation and response. Right. And so we can't we cannot skip those first three rungs like you put it. I agree with you. Wholeheartedly, right. but that's why we need people educating themselves along the ways, and we need open-minded relationships. And instead of demonizing the technology that's coming out, we need to accept it, understand it's here to stay. We're never gonna go backwards, man. We're not going back to horses. You know what I mean? Like we're n- we're, we're not going back to horses. We're you know, it's only progressing forward. We're never gonna take a step back, we're always gonna step forward. And so we, as the fire service and emergency services, have to respond to that in a way that believes that whatever we do is going to protect today and also looks for tomorrow. Um, I think it's super important.
1: And and whether we're teaching or or sharing or whatever, we just got to keep in mind to do it for the right reason
0: wholeheartedly wholeheartedly and and for me that reason is everything why I do this right it's to pay it forward it's to put our stamp on it and hopefully make this job a little bit better than we found it and as cliche as that sounds you know i i i enjoy i I always say National Fire Radio is is a selfish endeavor for me because I get to talk with my friends and meet new friends and I get to do this, right? Tonight, you and I, we've been together for almost an hour now chatting and it's just a lot of fun and I get to do that. And for me, it's rewarding for me to have those relationships in my life. I need that. That's the selfish ploy for me. But I also have recognized over the last few years that people will get a lot of Uh, Something out of these conversations and people are always looking for ideas, guidance, you know, somebody that's dealing with something similar, you know, and so on. So I recognize that a lot of these conversations can be important to other people. And so, you know, for me, that's that's my part, right? It's like you educating yourself and still being a student of the game 40 years later, still being entrenched in the industry and understanding what's happening, working with the auto, working with Volvo and Ford and, you know, doing all those things and, and pushing it forward because we need people to progress this job forward.
1: Sure. Well, and listen, on the selfish side, Jeremy, as you just said, I got kids. I got grandkids. Yeah that are going to be driving, and, you know, we uh, we used to joke, you know, when my kids were learning to drive, there was a saying in the racing industry that the the announcers always used to say, ladies and gentlemen, keep your kids away from the wall. Well, that's how we felt when our kids were starting to drive, and now our grandkids are starting to drive. And, you know, whether it's the, the kids in the car or the um, – Forgive the phrase, the kids in the fire service, mm. you know, we want them to be equally as equipped and knowledgeable and, you know, ready to do what they got to do and react the way they need to.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you 100 percent. And we need to give them every tool we can. And especially in the most, you know, the ever evolving, you know, world that we live in today, things are happening a lot faster you know when you go back to the warriors you're talking class a fires ordinary combustibles these were in and out fires if you will and they, they maybe went to a bunch of them a day and it was a different time and i'm not taking anything away from that but man have things evolved since then right and so and now i think it's evolving faster than it ever has technology is just always going to be ahead of us and so we need to be sure that the people that are coming up through the ranks are well equipped to deal with today's and tomorrow's doings and uh and we got to do that man we got to do it
1: yeah sure sure listen the beast that we fought way back when you know it's still the beast but that beast has evolved technologically as well
0: a hundred. Yeah. Very well said. Very, very well said. And I, and I agree with him and that's a very good way to look at it too. Right. If you want to kind of relate it to, to educate people about what the fire service looks or what firefighting looks like from today versus, you know, 20 and then 30, 40, 50 years ago, that's it, man. Like technology, like civilization, fire has evolved as well. The job has evolved as well. There's no doubt.
1: It has, it has. And you know what? They, I don't want to go get away from having being able to say this, All these years later, and by the way, bless you for saying 50 years because I'm 40 years in, and that just gives me a little bit of hope. Um, (laughs) You got a long way to go, buddy. You ain't bound out
0: anytime soon, so get the hell out of here, man. No way.
1: But you know what? Regardless, I hope for every younger person in the service can say 40 years in, it still beats a real job. I love that. I love it. I mean, and I believe that with all my heart. That's what keeps me going.
0: Talk to me about how important the relationships are that you've created over these years. I know you have such a strong friend network. Um, and just, you know, I always impress upon people that listen to this podcast, I, I challenge people to get out and meet people and network and find people. And I think now more than ever through technology, people can find other like minded people across the world. Talk to me about how important relationships are to you and what they've done for you in your career.
1: They're everything, Jeremy. Yeah. They're absolutely everything. And you know what? Something that I've learned as wonderful as all the technology is, and I hate to admit this, brother, but you know what? When I was young, when we called somebody and they were on the phone, we got a busy signal.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, and so... Those relationships, keep those relationships, foster those relationships, they're everything and they mean everything. And just because we're older, just because we're young, um, doesn't mean that we don't have something to offer. And don't stop learning because every one of those relationships are, are we, we hope that we give and we take from those relationships, Right.
0: A hundred percent. I mean, they fuel me every single day. Like this conversation with you has just, it's the icing on the cake of today for me. I've spoken, this is my fourth episode that I've done today. Um, you know, and, and for me, wow, like I get to have these conversations with amazing people like you. I feel so much closer to you today than I did yesterday, only because we got to spend more time together today and really break it down a little bit. And, you know, for me, that's everything. Relationships are just so important. And, in fact, I can t- honestly say that I'm a better person today because of National Fire Radio and the podcast because guys like you I want I admire to be like. And I mean that in a nice way. Don't get weird, Carl, but I mean that in a way okay. – that I want to surround myself with really good people that appreciate other people and appreciate the job. And so I hold myself to a much higher standard than I used to because if I'm going to run in these circles and I'm going to call guys like yourself my friend, then I got to make sure that my response, my activity, the way I, the way I put things out there, the way I handle myself, conduct myself, have to be representative of that. And um, and I think when you doing the
1: right thing, my friend, yeah. that's what it's about. Well, do
0: doing the right thing. thing. DTRT. Right. And that's um, and, really a nice way to bring it around.
1: Yeah. And because I'm old, so I don't forget you, my friend, I shared with you before we started this, I've not done this before and I've shied away from it. I did my first webcast a uh, week before FDIC for fire engineering, and right. I was scared to death. But you know what? It was the technology. And yeah. yeah. What what I've learned from today is, I mean, you and I could have this same conversation bullshitting on my back deck watching the which, the world go by.
0: Which I hope we do.
1: And well, I'm gonna hold you to it and yes. I hope everybody out there holds you to it too. Yep. But um oh I'm, oh sorry. By the oh, way, my wife just got my attention. There's like 30 or 40 elk coming down into the backyard. Oh, my
0: God. Yeah, yeah. rub it in while I'm sitting here in New Jersey uh, looking out and watching cars pass by my house. Yeah, thanks. Wait, wait uh, a minute. You Jeff, guys don't
1: thanks. have elk there or deer?
0: No, I have tons of deer. I mean, my I, I should say this. I should say this. Where I live, I have more wildlife than you could possibly imagine. Uh, every day it's Fox. It's, you know, foxes. We have, I have a pond in the backyard. We have tons of wildlife here. I have bear that come through on a regular occasion. Deer. I have like 20 or 30 deer every day come through. Um, and it's sidebar. A lot of my friends that hunt, I don't hunt, but a lot of my friends that hunt sit in tree stands for weeks on end and can't find anything. And you could just sit in my backyard and you'll see eight pointers and 10 pointers run through. It's absolutely hilarious. But anyway, what were you well, saying? You were it, you were when,
1: when you you were asking me about stories, yes. and this is very quick. Um, the boys from on scene know this quite well. Then I get shit for it all the time. I am not a hunter. I consider myself a meat gatherer. Nice. And I will shoot one elk a year. I don't mm. do deer. But the reason they give me such hell is because I spot it from my hot tub. I love that. And the the big joke is, hey, fat boy, did you have to put clothes on to shoot yeah. that?
0: Oh, yeah. And you know what the joke truly is is the fact that they had asked that because I know the answer is no, you did not have clothes on, and the fact you were able to do that, and uh, and that's why I am super jealous of what you have and what you're doing. And I'll be honest with you, I just can't understand why you left Southern California for that, man. It's just hard to
1: believe. <laughs> I know. Who'd have thunk it? <laughs> what was I thinking, right?
0: Carl Haddon, what a great conversation tonight, man. I appreciate you more than you'll ever know. And um, I hope your first podcast was not too challenging for you.
1: My brother, if I ever get to do another one, I could only pray it was as easy as this one because I you're... was sweating this a little bit, <laughs> and on. I appreciate you more. No, I'm serious. Listen, remember old as dirt, dirt didn't do podcasts.
0: Yeah. Well, so. you know what? It's nice to bring you forward. And, and, you know, the, and that's the beautiful thing about it. We talked about relationships and, you know, now more than ever with technology, we have the ability to make even stronger relationships. And so maybe not vilifying or, 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 you know, um, or casting a, a negative light on social media or technology, nope. but it's also, nope. it's also done a lot for us too. And I sure am so has. appreciative it, of that.
1: Well, and my brother, I can't thank you enough for the opportunity to do this. Ah, and um, fun. as my son would say, I hope I didn't suck or F it up.
0: Uh, no, you were uh, you were good, man. I It was a great conversation, but I'm going to take you up on this. I know the invite's there, and I know that you're 100% serious, and I do want to get out that way because it's, it's a part of the country that I've never been to. Um, I certainly want to explore it and see what it is for myself because, you know, I, I just have these – ideas and ambitions that I want to try something different and new. And, um, you know, I, I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to see that part of the country and see what it offers. And I, I know what it offers and I know I'm going to fall in love with it, but, um, you know, it's admirable what you guys did and what you've built there. And, uh, I see the pictures, I follow you guys on social media and I see what you, what you have there and the lifestyle you live. And, um, I'll tell you, man, uh, enjoy it. Cause, uh, I'm enjoying it from afar. And I will take you up on that cocktail on the back deck, watching the elk come down the mountain any day. So. All
1: right, my brother. Well, listen, I will share with you that blondie just heard what you said. So I have a witness. There you go. And I only have two words. Bring it.
0: Yeah, I know. And I appreciate that. And we will. I promise you that. Carl Haddon, thank you for joining me tonight. Stay right here. Uh, don't go anywhere. I'm just going to sign off the podcast. And then I just want to chat with you off off the air for a few minutes. Okay. So hang out. Thank you. Everyone, thank you for tuning in for another episode of the National Fire Radio Podcast. Carl Haddon, man, Idaho, lives in the mountains of Idaho. It doesn't get much better than that. What a fantastic conversation. A student of the game for many, many years and still in love with the fire service more than ever and pushing it and paying it forward. I absolutely love that. Do me a favor. Take this conversation. Take it back to the kitchen table and talk about it. Because when we're talking about the job, we're making the job better. Thank you for tuning in. I appreciate the support. We love our National Fire Radio community, and we'll see you at the next podcast. So thanks for tuning in. We'll see you at the next one. Jeremy, National Fire Radio.